This is HPR episode 2417 entitled Transmitter Crusoe, Fujitsu Siemens Futro S210, Thin Client, Troubleshooting, and Domain 9 Install. It is hosted by JWP and is about 13 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is I did a basement cleanup and got my old transmitter CPU up and running. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Good day, and welcome to another Hacker Public Radio podcast. My name is JWP. Uh, you can reach me at JWP5 at hotmail.com. Uh, what I wanted to do today was talk to you. I cleaned up the basement, and uh, there are various computers down there, and I, it was semi emotionally, and I had to throw away a lot of stuff. Um, but what I uh, kept was I kept my. Uh, my pies. Uh, so I've got uh, four, four pies, an Odroid, uh, and a Pine 64 down there, and I sort of set that all up in a little cluster of things that'll be various podcasts. But what I found was I found a uh, an old thin client, a uh, Fujitsu S210, and uh, this thing's claim to fame was that uh, it came with a transmit uh, Meta. CPU and so around 2000, uh, a company called Transmeta was uh, leasing uh, FabricCon from IBM uh, Chip uh, Fabric, and uh, they made the 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 uh, Transmeta Caruso uh, line of chips. And uh, this little thin client has a has a uh, Transmeta, and it has a 512 of uh, uh, MB of RAM, and uh, I'd had lots of problems with it before, and I, it, the thing is, the BIOS is so old that it it doesn't take well to USB DVD boot, and it won't do. Uh, although I did have Puppy running on a, a Linux stick on it at one time, that some reason it didn't like it anymore. And uh, the neat thing about this is it has a CF card that is on a secondary IDE bus, and so you can boot from that bus um, but you have to get media to that and install it and oh man it was a hard hard evening I tried with OpenSUSE Tumbleweed it didn't work I tried Ubuntu it didn't work uh, and so I was like okay what always works and I said well uh, NetBSD always works and uh, Debian always works and so I downloaded the net install from NetBSD and Debian, and uh, of course, uh, I later found out that the the real reason is that the USB ports didn't put out enough, so I had to have a, a two 
uh, prong USB adapter connected to the DVD drive. Uh, I happen to have a second one that did have a two prong rather than a single prong. And the second thing was it didn't like DVD media, uh, even though it was in a DVD player that was attached to its thing. So I had to get CD media, and I finally I found I happened to have two blank CDs. I didn't even know I had blank CDs anymore. And I, I put the Debian 9 on it, uh, the i386 version, and uh, I, I uh, um, it apparently it didn't like the CD very much. So I had to tilt the box a certain way, and finally I got the thing to boot. And the Debian went through. Uh, I tried to go through the graphical install, and it was just. Uh, not enough information so I went through the had to stop and go through the text install and then I couldn't get the partitioner to work uh, for whatever reason I it didn't want to do it and so I was like okay so then I had to so then I was cleaning up the basement anyway and so I found an old version of puppy 5 and I booted I put that old CD into the DVD player and it liked that CD and so then it booted that and then I got the uh, um, uh, she parted up from that old puppy and then I put a Etsy 2 on the 32 gigabyte uh, SD card and then uh, I put two and a half uh, gigabytes of swap now the reason I did that was uh, uh, a guy named Joe Collins recently had a uh, uh, a video log uh, on YouTube about the difference between a uh, a swap partition and a swap file and, that, and Ubuntu was moving to a swap file and while he he still thought that it, the swap partition was the way to go, that he always used a magical 2.5 gigabyte. And so I thought I'd give that a try. And so I, I with the Gparted, I made a 2.5 gigabyte swap. And uh, I redid the install and did a text install this time. And sure enough, even on the install, it saw the swap partition. Uh, so the, the reinstall of it went really well. And it took a while that the uh, Transmeta CPU is only 700 megahertz. Um, so it took a while, to, maybe over an hour to get for uh, to get the, the XFCE CD done. And thank goodness in the text install, it offered me also to get LXDE. And so I got it to boot and it came back and I was really worried and really worried about it, uh, you know, doing all that work and it not booting. And so I, I got I got it to reboot and uh, booted into XFCE and it was using 384 megabytes of 512 and about 14 or 15 megabytes of swap just sitting there and I was like oh that's an awful lot and um, and so then I was like okay well what can I do and so I switched into XFCE and then it was only using 128 and I was like oh that's better and then uh, I looked at the browser and the email client and uh, they had Firefox and uh, Deluge for the email client. And I was like, no, that, that's, that's not going to work. It's just too too big. Um, and so I put uh, uh, Lynx, uh, Alpine, Nano, uh, Nano was already there, and SE on it. And I said, okay, well, if I need to do some real work, uh, those console-based things will do. And Lynx was really surprisingly refreshing there. And I got Midori to work a little bit on it too. Uh, the... The uh, um, interesting uh, the interesting was was that uh, uh, was that when I switched to LXDE, everything just got instantly better for some reason with that box. So a little bit more about the 
the transmeta thing and so it's a little bit of a of a of a living uh history so uh like i said transmeta uh, didn't own any fabric themselves so they rented from ibm and ibm made some great chips back then uh hp did their um their uh, uh p at risk and and even digital made some some uh chips and and their fabrics they met they, they had a fantastic chip fabric okay and so the caruso family of x86 compatible microsoft uh processors was developed by transmeta and it was introduced around 2000 uh, the Caruso was notable for its method of achieving, achieving x86 capability. So instead of the instruction set uh, architecture being implemented in hardware or translated uh, by specialized hardware, Caruso runs on a software application layer or a virtual machine known as a code morphing software, CMS. And CMS translates machine code instructions received from programs to native instructions for the microprocessor. Uh, in this way, the Caruso can emulate um, other and other instruction set architectures and ISAs. Um, this used to allow microprocessors to emulate the x86 Intel instruction set. In theory, it's possible for the CMS to be modified to implement other ISAs. So if you wanted to do PA RISC or Alpha or uh, Power, it could. Uh, Transmeta demonstrated this by executing Java bytecode by translating bytecodes into instructions in its native instruction set. In addition of an abstraction layer between the x86 instruction stream and the hardware layer means that the hardware architecture can change without breaking uh, compatibility. So uh, just by modifying the CMOS. For example, Transmeta Ectifon, a second generation Transmeta design, has a 256-bit wide um, VLIW core versus 128-bit core of the Caruso. Uh, Caruso performs in some software functionality traditionally implemented in hardware instructions um, by reordering, resulting in simpler hardware with fewer transistors. Uh, the relative simplicity of the hardware means that Caruso consumes less power, therefore generates less heat than other x86 compatible microprocessors at the same frequency. Uh, a 700 megahertz Caruso ran x86 uh, programs at a speed of 500 megahertz uh, Pentium uh, 3 processor. Um, although the processor was smaller and cheaper than the corresponding Intel processor. Okay, and that's the one that I have. Uh, and that while I say that it's low power, I touched it, the box, the C200, the thin client, and that thing gets awfully warm, uh, awfully warm. Um, and so uh, they had two versions. It's with the TM3200 for embedded applications or the TM5400 for low-powered personal computing. Uh, both were based on the same architecture but differed in clock frequency and peripheral support. And uh, I guess that key was peripheral support. And the BIOS, it... You know, it had a USB floppy and a USB CD, but it didn't have uh, any DVD. Um, okay, it does have a PCI card in it. Uh, I don't know where I could find PCI cards, but, uh, and it had a serial port, which is why it got saved from the trash also, because I still have a collection of Scions that I want to try to talk to, and the Scion works off of a serial port. And I'm pretty sure Debian has some old Scion libraries. Um, so 
the Fujitsu Siemens uh, in Germany seems to be the um, the the big uh, um, uh, thing with with this and and uh, um, I uh, again I put a 32 uh, gigabyte uh, tr uh, transcend uh, card and it had no issues right it just went on and on and on and uh, um, there's there's several little um, uh, several little uh, um, car uh, machines so the the Futuro, the basic was a 210 um, and it was 210 and uh, uh, he had a, a a lot of them originally came with 128, so I, I found an old 512 uh, from a laptop and put it in, and it, it, it was fine. And uh, the um, and the reason that they had the SF card was because Fujitsu Siemens could put their own spin of their thin client OS on it, or XP embedded, and so you just pop that out and pop in your Linux, and boom, because the machine has a, uh, um, uh, a secondary IDE and it just boots right off. So that that's why it it, it didn't have it. And I've seen them with uh, with card readers, uh, um, SIM card readers uh, on them and stuff. Uh, I, I just have a a basic one, uh, a basic one there, and uh, uh, and everything seems to work. Uh, with Puppy, I had radio going on it a few years ago, and uh, this time it's gonna run the Scion and I, I don't think I'm going to do very much audio with it. Uh, I may uh, see if I can record some basic podcasts with it to see if, if it'll work uh, if it'll work or not. But it, right now it has Debian 9 on it and it seems to be doing uh, quite uh, quite well and uh, um, and everything uh, uh, seems to seems to work fine and uh, it'll be a great project to practice with the serial with the serial interface uh, uh, on it. Um, the And really that's about it. Uh, so uh, I hope uh, y'all enjoyed my thing at uh, the old Transmeta. Those work fine with Debian once you get it past the BIOS and get the thing booted. Um, if there's any questions or comments, uh, please uh, write me at jwp5 at hotmail.com. Uh, thank y'all very much for uh, uh, your time and have a great day. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.